Time once again for the Built by Bama online podcast. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BOL, here with you as we move deeper and deeper into the month of June, which means July is upon us, which means SEC Media Days on tap in just a couple of three weeks. And then once we get through Hoova this time around, thank goodness we're not going back to Atlanta, by the way, this year. We get Hoover back in play for SEC Media Days. And once you get through there, fall camp is right around the corner. And what we're going to do today, something a little different, but it is that time of year where we have the flexibility, the freedom to kind of take some different avenues with the podcast. And we're going to do that today with an old friend of BamaOnline.com, an alum, I guess you could say, part of the fam forever, and that's Trevor Hewitt. Uh, and as we do so, we welcome Trevor onto the pod. How you doing, Trev? Doing great, man. Awesome to be here. How you doing, Travis? Cannot complain one bit. We haven't talked in a while, so this should be fun. I'm going to go ahead and let our listeners know a big part of what we're going to do today with Trevor is go into his background from a recruiting standpoint. Trevor obviously did a lot of great work for BamaOnline.com, but what you may or may not have known was that before his time, with BOL, he was very much involved in the recruiting effort at the University of Alabama. And let's start right there, Trev. Let's start with your football background. What is where you know? Go back to your high school days. Tell us how you got invested into the game and sort of the path that it took you on from there. Well, um, you know, I grew up in a, a very big football home. Uh, started playing when I was four years old, uh, was very lucky. I'm from just south of Nashville in Franklin, Tennessee, and uh, was incredibly lucky to attend uh, Brentwood Academy, uh, which, you know, those of you may or may not know, has been one of the top programs uh, in the southeast for a very long time. And, uh, you know, got to play for some incredible coaches and uh, play with some incredible players, a few guys that made it to the NFL. And uh, and then from there, um you know, was fortunate enough to end up at Alabama and, uh, you know, through a series of events, uh, ended up working for through the football team. We can get into that a little bit deeper here and, yeah. and, uh, worked for the football team for four years in personnel and recruiting, uh, as an undergraduate assistant. And then, uh, you know, when that came to an end was, was, you know, incredibly blessed again to get offered, uh, to come work with 247 sports, uh, with BAM online, you know, with absolutely no journalism background and, you know, never had any intention on doing it and had three incredible years there uh, covering the team, covering recruiting and, uh, you know, just uh, continuing to be a part of of that world. And uh, obviously it was awesome. So that's kind of my football background, uh, primarily in personnel and recruiting and scouting, obviously, but uh, a little bit of everything, to be honest. Yeah. And if you don't know Trevor, Trevor is back up in the Franklin area, I believe, these days. Uh, but during his time in Tuscaloosa, Trevor Hewitt may as well have been the mayor of Tuscaloosa. Everybody <laughs> knew Trevor Hewitt, whether it was because of his ties to Alabama football, uh, but then certainly in the social slash nightlife scene uh, as one of the overseers of one of the more iconic SEC uh, bars, I guess you could say, in Innisfree Irish Pub downtown. All oh, the stories we could get into with Trevor Hewitt. If uh, oh, Well, you man. know. It's a podcast, Trevor. We don't have hey. any time limits. Hey, you know what? So, uh, we, we can go down this rabbit hole and see where we end up. Oh, gosh. Who knows? <laughs> who knows where we may end up at the end of this rollicking conversation uh, with Trev? But let's let's get back to the Alabama aspect of things for you. How do you 
how do you get that spot? You know, if you're a young person out there and you want to get involved from uh, an undergrad assistant type position, an intern, whatever you want to call it, how did that door open for you? How did you pursue that? And, um, you know, just talk about the process of, of getting into that spot there at UA. Well, um, you know, it's funny you bring up Innisfree. Innisfree was the reason that uh, that it actually happened. Uh, so I ran security at Innisfree um, from 2000, from the fall of 2006 uh, and on for uh, the better part of a decade. And, uh, you know, luckily it happened to be a bar at the time before we moved to our new location where we were downtown and it was a little bit older scene, you know, and luckily, you know, some of the GAs that worked for the football team, um, AC Carter being one of them, uh, coach Taylor being another one, uh, they, you know, would come in every once in a while and just got to talking to them. They were recruiting a kid from Brentwood Academy named Alex Bullard. I believe that ended, he ended up going to Notre Dame and transferring to Tennessee. Uh, but I was just kind of talking to them and kind of giving them some insight into the area and the program. And uh, all of a sudden got this really big itch to, to get into it. And, you know, one day was sitting there talking with them and was just like, hey, guys, I know you get asked this all the time, but uh, I'd really love to help. I don't care if it's sweeping the floors. Uh, I just feel like, you know, I want to be a part of this and I can be an asset. <clears throat> and, you know, they were kind of like, yeah, man, we'll check. And, you know, to me, that it was kind of like, all right, yeah, sure, dude. But uh, <laughs> then the next week, Lance Taylor came back to me and uh, he said, hey, man, if you're serious, we've got camp starting. Uh, and this was the summer of 2007. He's like, well, we've got camp starting. We need help. We'd love for you to come on. And, uh, you know, was fortunate enough to do that and did well enough that they asked me to stay on for the fall. And uh, that led to, you know, the next almost four years of my life working for Alabama recruiting um, as an undergraduate assistant. And, uh, you know, a lot of incredible memories got to be a a part of rebuilding, you know, rebuilding the dynasty that is Alabama football. So it was obviously just an absolutely incredible experience. But the thing that I would say to people who are looking to get into the personnel side of things or working in college football, I got to be honest with you, fortune favors the brave. Go up to the football complex, see if they have any openings, ask, um, you know, you're going to be working for free. Uh, but if you love it and that's what you want to do, then every moment's going to be incredible. You know, I, I was a volunteer for two years before I started getting paid, you know, working at a bar at night, going to school during the day. And I wouldn't have had it any other way. I loved, you know, even the bad days were incredible days. Uh, so I would say go up there, you know, ask see if there's any openings, email, you know, director of football operations. And uh, you'd be surprised what you can get done just by taking a little initiative and saying that you want to help. Now, you mentioned sweeping the floors, doing whatever it took to be involved. Initially, at least, Trevor, what did your duties involve there at the football complex? Well, at first, uh, all the way up until probably after the 2010 season, so from 2008 to 2010, um, Alabama was still using VHS for all its evaluations on high school recruiting film. Uh, we were literally retrofitting DVDs back to VHS. Uh, the coaches liked watching tapes on VHS. The jog shuttle is smoother. Uh, and it was Joe Pendry and, and Coach Saban who were obviously, you know, old school guys that they know what they like and they know how they want it. 
Um, so, you know, when I first started off, it was literally four of us in an office and you would spend all day long logging in film and then, you know, figuring out who they needed to watch and cutting up film and, uh, putting it on VHS, man. I mean, that was, that was my first few months were essentially just sitting at a computer screen in front of an Excel spreadsheet and logging film and then going and putting it in our film library very pretty much every single day. So what are we talking about in terms of a number of a database back then, as far as what you and maybe some others were doing from that standpoint? How many prospects, let's say, for the class of 2009, do you figure that maybe you logged in or that the staff or or others that you worked with combined uh, number of players, uh, prospects that were in that wall? I would say over the course of a calendar year, we would get in between four and 5,000 films. Uh, Now, obviously a fair amount of those are unsolicited films. Um, I would say, you know, of the, of the, you know, the 5,000 films that we would get in, I'd say probably a legitimate, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 are guys, you know, underclassmen, some of them, but, you know, are guys that at least need a look. Um, and you know, that's where the fun organizational process of being on VHS would really kick in because you'd have multiple highlight tapes and the evaluations were done on paper at that time. Um, so having to keep all those together, you know, you'd have one coach with one film and one eval, and then you'd have to try to put everything together. So it was a bit of a dance at times. Uh, and some of the coaches were not the best about returning their films. So you'd have to go hunting every once in a while uh but honestly it was uh it was pretty remarkable there was a their system they may still use it called radar um and that's the database where you're inputting all your prospects all your schedules everything's in there and um you know obviously coach Saban is huge on research knowing as much as possible so you know we as recruiting assistants would literally read articles on all these kids that we were targeting and i'm telling you as small a detail as if you know hey he really likes mustard that's in his profile we know that <laughs> you know I, and i and i'm telling you like it's crazy but those are the things when you're bringing a kid on an official visit knowing those types of things make a huge impact because you so, don't have to ask you know so like how we build profiles in the 247sports.com database, you were doing pretty much the same on these yes. guys, especially as, as you called them, real guys um, yes. that were legit targets. You, you, you were building profiles individually for each and every one of these uh, targets for Alabama. Yes, sir. Yeah, we'd be going in uh... – you know, that was something that would be obviously very heavy during the spring when the coaches are out on the road. Um, you know, they're coming back with a ton of information, a ton of guys. Um, and also, you know, I mean, in the recruiting office, not in the coaches' offices, but in the recruiting office, we were using 247. We were using Rivals. Uh, you know, we were using all those sites to help us to find guys. You know, yeah, where's right. this guy that, that we haven't seen that we need to go through? And, oh, man, coach needs to watch this guy. You know, but he's in an area that, you know, maybe doesn't get touched a lot. He's at a small school. You know, those are the guys where you could you could really find some young, you know, diamonds in the rough uh, that maybe necessarily, you know, kind of slipped through the cracks up to that point in the recruiting process. So there is, in fact, situations where 
a recruiting service like 247sports.com can reveal a player to a staff, even like a program at Alabama, and that end up leading to at least some discovery work being done on that kid? Uh, most definitely. Yes, most definitely. Uh, even, even you know, guys that end up being big, big-time guys. Uh, you know, Cam Robinson, you know, 247 was one of the first people to put him on the map on the radar really going to see him uh, before he was at West Monroe, you know, and through that discovery, then he starts to get buzz. Well, now he's getting invited to camps and now he's getting offers, you know, that, that it happens a lot more than what you think. Uh, these recruiting services, I know that, you know, sometimes they get a bad rap on a lot of things, but in terms of doing the legwork and really going out there and being the boots on the ground that find these guys, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, in, it's invaluable because these coaches can only talk to so many coaches. They can only see so much film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the guys now that are recruiting, recruiting reporters that are covering these beats, you know, they're the dudes back in the day that would call up coach and say, hey, there's this kid out in nowhere, Kentucky, and man, he's a, he's a ball player. You know, they've pretty much taken over that job for the universities. Interesting. Now, at this time, when you get on board back uh, 2008, 2009 at UA as a recruiting assistant, uh, is, is there a chain of command? Is, is there someone that you're reporting to directly, I would think? Is it the director oh, of operations? Yes. Who is that person? So um, the way that it works is there's a recruiting GA. Uh, at first, when I started off, it was a guy named Will Pope. Uh, and um, then it now, let's see, then it became J.R. Sandlin who's in Jacksonville State. I believe he's tight ends coach there. Um, so you have your GA, and then above the GA is your director of player personnel. Uh, when I first started at Alabama, it was a guy named Tim Davis. Uh, he coached with Coach Saban at the Dolphins, I believe. Um, he was an old offensive line guy. Yeah. Uh, and Patrick Suttis uh, was also helping a lot on that, and now he's the DPP at Auburn. Um, but after that, a guy named Ed Manowitz came in. Uh, who's incredibly well-known, very, very well-respected in the personnel business. Uh, I believe he's working for Jimmy Sexton now, but he was my direct boss. This is, he was the guy that's responsible for the organization and the execution of all things recruiting, whether it be film evaluation, road trips, demographic analysis, uh, camps, unofficial visits, official visits, he is the guy that does that expedites all the work so that the coaches can just focus on recruiting. And Manowitz, he climbed the ladder pretty quickly, right? Uh, I want to say he was with the Eagles at one point yep. in a in a yep. highly ranked uh, personnel role, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Uh, so Ed was the director of pro personnel for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, you know, unfortunately for him, Chip Kelly had final say on all per- personnel decisions. So uh, you know. Ed obviously uh, didn't get to get to buy all the groceries. You know, he could make a lot of recommendations, but Chip would ultimately make his decisions. But, yeah, you know, he was one of the top four guys in the Philadelphia Eagles organization. Um, But even as a young guy, you know, when Bill Parcells, he was with the Dolphins for a while. And Bill Parcells was a guy that signed off on him to coach Saban. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's pretty much what got Ed in the door. And, uh, and man, he that guy, he's one of the most organized humans I've ever seen in my life. Uh, remarkably type A, 
incredibly good at what he does. Um, and there's a reason that he's been as successful as he has. He's a, he's a guy that is uh, just a real special guy in this business. Yeah, uh, renowned uh, at a young age, too, uh, oh, in making that climb. So. Um, let's talk about the mythical recruiting board. We've heard so much about it throughout the years. Uh, every program uh, allegedly or apparently has that recruiting board. You know, it almost brings you know, church music, angelic music to, to mind when you when you say it, because the perception of this thing is that it has its own room, you know, in a football facility. And and there's a special code to get into that room to be able to to be able to see the recruiting board. There have been there's been talk of previous assistant coaches taking pictures of the recruiting board at Alabama and then taking it with them to their their next stop uh, head coaching job at Georgia, for instance. Um, <laughs> what? Tell us, let us in on the recruiting board at Alabama. Okay. Is it real? What does it consist of if it is? It, it's, it is, it is very much real. It is an actual place. It's not Narnia. Um, so <laughs> it, it's essentially the coaches, uh, the coaches meeting room. It's right next to, it's connected to coach Stevens office. Um, you know, obviously things may or may not have changed in the last couple of years. Uh, since I've been there, but in my time there, uh, when you walked in, uh, it was pretty much dry erase boards all the way around. Uh, it's also where coaches will watch game film and everything. And uh, on the boards, you literally have every single position, offense and defense, and you have your players uh, from top to bottom. So your top guy in each position group uh, and then followed down the board, uh, you know, organized in, in uh, order of importance i guess would be the way to put it um there's a lot of code tags that you're putting on uh so it's a board tag is what you're making so it's got their full name their high school their recruiter uh their evaluation if they've been offered if they have academic concerns if they have injury concerns if they have character concerns you know all these things are accounted for on those board tags and uh it's literally just a uh, just a giant, pretty much probably about how you'd expect it looking at it. You know, it's it's every single position mapped out. Now, is there a one through 100? You know, this is our number one overall prospect. No, there's not. Uh, everybody is grouped by position. So it is totally positional uh, in how that works. And so does the board change on a weekly basis? Is it addressed on a monthly basis? Is it fluid? Is it real time? Uh, How does that work? It's real time. Uh, It's, it's can be almost daily uh, at times, you know, you'll go a little while sometimes and not really have to reorganize the board, but you know, when you're in, when, when you're in the springtime and they're on the road evaluating and all the film comes back in, then all the coaches watch the film, and that's when you're really starting to make decisions and building out your roadmap to your next recruiting class. You know, what are we going to need, and who are the guys at those positions that we want to target? Um, so that's, you know, that's really the way that, that that works is it's almost like, okay, well, we watch this guy. Well, we want to stick him here, you know, and we're going to move this guy down. And then there's constant reevaluation. We always reevaluated guys during their senior year. Um, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, you, a guy comes in, has a great junior year, comes to camp, commits at camp, and it's like, all right, well, he's good. You know, the, the reevaluation is never over at any point. And, you know, as a lot and of that's guys made, have found that's out. that's made clear to those guys, right? I mean, oh, that very just, much. 
whether it's an offer or commitment, it's still contingent upon maintaining a, a certain level yes. of, of play and character and things like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, Hey, you know, this is, this is a weight that we want you want to see you at, you know, mm-hmm. we want to see this GPA out of you. We want to hear, you know, we want to don't want to hear about you acting out in class and they're held accountable for all those things. You know, when you're a commit, you know, and, and also when it comes to recruiting, if you're going to take visits, Hey, if you shop, we shop. That's, yeah. that's the way that, that this works. You know, but the evaluation process is is never over with. I'll never forget, uh, you know, when Coach Saban first got to the University of Alabama and he met with the team, you know, he said to a pretty big group of them, like, hey, I'm, I'm constantly recruiting to replace you. Under Understand that that this won't that this never stops. It's part of the process. Every day we are trying to get better in every way possible. And so the expectation level is just as is just as high with the recruits as it is with the guys who are on campus. Yeah, and you mentioned camps and, and things like that. Obviously critical. I think Saban, as much as anyone, changed the game from that standpoint too. And using camps is not just a, a, a recreational type outlet for kids in the summer. It's a big big part of the evaluation process. So when the typical offer goes out to say an underclassman. Uh, how many of those are just what I would call drop dead offers? You could commit right now and it's not contingent upon anything other than what we just talked about with maintaining a, a, a level of play, a level of character, uh, a level of off the field behavior. Uh, but for most of these kids, how much is it contingent upon coming to camp and sort of validating yourself there? Um, well, you know, the offer offers is a, is a bit of a, there's gray area involved in there. You know, there's a lot of offers that go out that aren't necessarily committable offers, uh, is how, you know, I typically put it. Um, the way I would say it is this, if you, you know, for any kid who's going through the process or any parent that's listening that has a kid that's going through the process, if you don't get offered by Nick Saban, you do not have a scholarship offer. Um, you know, when a guy says, you know, such and such coach, this position coach offered me, uh, you know, if, if you haven't been on the phone with Nick Saban and he hasn't said those words, uh, then I, you know, I would say that, you know, you've got some more talking to do, um, not to say that they're not going to offer you or anything like that, but until the big man talks to you and, and gives you the word, uh, I wouldn't say that it's a committable offer. Now of the guys, you know, I would say that, you know, maybe your top 15 guys on the board, your top 10 to 15 guys at any given time, they have pulled the trigger committable offers. Um, you know, guys that have been fully evaluated, they've gone to see them in the spring. Uh, they know they're the real deal. You know, those are guys that can pull it. You know, Julio Jones tells you he wants to commit yeah. without coming to camp. Guess what? You're, you're taking Julio Jones. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd say probably 75 percent, uh, you know, 70 to 75 percent of the guys in my time getting guys to camp was huge. Uh, it was on all their evaluations. Get to camp. Get to camp. You know, we want to see them in person. Uh, and then also, you know, the, the camps in Alabama, Alabama runs the toughest camp in the country. Uh, make no make no mistakes about it. Uh, every prospect that I ever talked to or dealt with. Um, either on the personnel side or working in the uh, the media side, 
they'll tell you that Alabama runs the toughest ship. Um, and there's a reason for that. Uh, you know, a lot of one, you want to find out if he's a competitor. Um, you want to see the intangibles. Is he a leader? You know, one of the biggest things is when he gets tired, is he still coachable or does he just shut down? You know, and those are things that you would find out real quick because we're putting them through a fourth quarter program through a 20 minute rotation. We're putting them through a 20 minute rotation of endurance training and then we're doing camp. Um, Mm. So even before they even get to positional drills and start learning and everything, you know, they've gone basically an hour of calisthenics between stretching and uh, and warm up and then going through conditioning and fourth quarter program. You know, those they work those guys. And so they find out real quick, is this for me uh, or is it not? It's as much for the coaches as the players. You see guys that, that think they want to come to Bama and they go through camp and all of a sudden they're, they're not too sure how they feel about it. <laughs> Man, I had a lot more fun just hanging out and, you know, hanging out with coach in the golf cart at this last camp. I don't know if this is for me. Uh, so it, it, it's a weed out process in and of itself, but it is constant evaluation from the moment they step on campus until they leave. That's very interesting about the fourth quarter uh, aspect of it because th- that that's when you truly find out who who can hang and not only during that period but as you said can we now coach them after it you know yep. are they still in a place mentally that they're receptive to the coaching not just receptive to it but can they then take the coaching and put it into the drill work and on the field? Uh, that, that's that's a very interesting outlook and approach to it that I'm pretty sure most schools, most programs don't employ. Now, based on the time frame of your time in that spot in that in that football office at Alabama, I'm guessing you were there when that transformative class of 2008 hit campus. Julio Jones. Uh, Mark Barron, Courtney Upshaw, Mark Ingram, Barrett Jones. You can just go down the list. Michael Williams ended up being a really good player at tight end. Marcel Darius, obviously. Uh, was it pretty clear early on that, that, that this staff or that, that staff at the time had really knocked it out of the park there? Oh, yeah, it, it really was. You know, like I said, that first part of the summer, I worked the camps. Um, but by the time the end of the summer, I'd, I'd actually, you know, started working for the team. And one of the things the recruiting assistants do at the end of summer and the start of the fall is they're helping out with the end of the summer testing. Um, you know, some of those ends where you need bodies because you're testing a lot of guys in a short period of time. And uh, I can still remember uh, to this day, it's something I'll never forget. Uh, they were doing the 40s test, which is you run 10 consecutive 40s. So it's a 60 yard grid. You sprint 40, and then you jog 20, and you turn around, and you do it immediately again. And uh, the point is to have your times within a certain uh, you know, percentage of your first time, and points are calculated as a result of that. Well, you know, that's a, that's a pretty stringent test. It doesn't take a lot of time, but that's a lot. Ten consecutive 40s, you know, you're knocking out 600 yards all said and done in a very short period of time. And so I can remember getting to the end of that. And looking around, you know, there's guys laying out. They've just blown it out. And then there's Julio standing there, and he hasn't even broken a sweat. Uh, Like, literally, not even broken a sweat. He made it look easy. And he was faster than, you know, pretty much anybody. And I remember looking at him and saying, oh, okay, you know, he's different. 
saying, you know, I could work as hard as I wanted to from the time I was born to now and for the rest of my life. And I'm never going to be what he is at this moment. Um, really seeing, you know, some true genetic outliers uh, come in with that class. Uh, and also the mentality, you know, a guy like Roe who mentally just brought an edge to the defense that you can't just coach, can't just find. Those guys were were so special. Um, but, yeah, seeing a guy like Julio in person, you knew this is about to change real quick. There was that now famous clip of Julio, I believe, in his first scrimmage at Alabama where he not only made an explosive play, but in the process he pretty much ragdolled one of Alabama's veteran defensive backs. Uh, you probably recall the clip I'm yes, referring to. Um, you, you weren't responsible for that clip going public, were you? That wasn't you? <laughs> oh, no, I can promise you this much. If there was <laughs> one thing I would have been petrified to do, it would have been to pull that stunt right there. Were um, there any questions asked around the football office when that clip surfaced, or did it kind of fly under the radar there over off Bryant Drive? No, it, it, trust me, it was asked, and it goes around. Uh, typically, the video guys are a typically good group to look at if footage ever makes its way out. <laughs> typically a good place to start. Because uh, that yeah, was end zone. That was an end zone cut. You know? Oh, yeah. That, that, was, that wasn't that was, just somebody who snuck in the stadium. No, that was the real deal. Uh, that was, that was one of those, I'm just going to send this to my friend. And then it turns into (laughs) all of the university of Alabama nation. Absolutely. Um, but let's, let's talk about some specifics. Um, let's, let's get into some, some topics within the topic. And I want to ask you during your time at Alabama, the one guy that you were pretty convinced that Alabama wasn't going to get but then ended up getting in the end, maybe the, the top guy that you would qualify in the, in that regard. Oh man. I really got to think about this. Uh, while I was working for the team, I mean, one that definitely comes to mind when I was working for two, four, seven would be Deshaun hand. Yeah. Uh, that was one that just, even when Tim put in the prediction, uh, it was one that I was just sitting there like, Hey man, I don't know about this one. Um, where do you uh, think he was, where do you think he might've been leaning instead of Alabama at the time? I mean, I think that Michigan, uh, was, was a safe bet by anybody's standard. Um, you know, I think that everybody had pretty much up to that point figured that that was going to be the fit. Um, especially, you know, Harbaugh coming on, it was just this like, all right, it's going to, this is what it's going to be. Um, What about TJ Yeldon in terms of rope dopes where would TJ Yeldon going from Auburn to Alabama and tell us what you recall about that whole situation? Well, to be honest with you, that was one of those that I think was in doubt for everybody else, but around the football complex, it was, there was never really this doubt that we were going to get him if we wanted him. Um, you know, him being with Ryan, uh, and then being best friends, Ryan I, Anderson. Know, I think that, the, yeah. yes, Ryan Anderson, sorry, my apologies. Sorry. Um, it, it, it gave a, they had a very good insight into, you know, what that, uh, what was going through his head, where he was at. And uh, it was just one of those where that one really wasn't uh, a huge surprise. Um, 
it was definitely, you know, a pleasant surprise. But, uh, but yeah, uh, he was one that, that I always felt pretty good about if we really pushed for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to go through some of the old classes right now. Uh, well, that well, the way that that went down, right? I mean, Yeldon went from an Auburn commitment to signing with Alabama there, and then that was it. Yeah. Oh, it was it was literally it was bang bang. Uh, as soon as the decision was made, uh, it was one that you know it 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 moved very quickly when the moment came. Uh, as soon as the green light was given, it was over. Now Alabama hasn't gone junior college heavy. Uh, during Nick Saban's tenure, hasn't really had to. He's done so well uh, at the prep level. But, you know, on occasion when this this program has, um, James Carpenter was one of those early guys. I mean, Terrence yep. Cody. I mean, give me a Quentin break. Dial. Quentin Dial was, I think, was he a guy that was a high school signee, but then yep. was need, needed to go to, I guess, East yeah. Mississippi. Went to it, East, it was. East Mississippi, yes, sir. Yeah, uh, and so... And Jesse Williams, you talk about yep. an all-timer from a junior college standpoint. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the JUCO ranks, it's very interesting. You have to be careful when it comes to JUCO, uh, at least, you know, in my experience and what I was told. You're going to have programs like Kansas State with Bill Snyder who are pretty much their, – their program success is dependent on junior college guys. Uh, and they sit very, right there in the middle of that Jayhawk uh-huh. conference. Yep. You know? And it's and and they're able to replenish their ranks, you know, every year they're doing that. Uh, the thing with JUCO guys is if you're going to bring them in, you want to make sure that they're guys that can contribute. Um, obviously, you're going to miss sometimes. But for the most part, you know, hey, this is on a two year deal. If we're getting this guy, we're getting him because we need him to contribute now. Um, so that can be the trick with JUCO guys is you you, you don't want to take a lot of chances. Um, cause it's a shortened period. There's not a lot of developmental time for these guys. You want to get them in there and get them on the field. You want an Isaiah bugs. Hey, you come in, we're going to plug you in, bud. Uh, and you're going to start playing. Um, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, but when it comes to Juco guys, there's a lot of thought, a lot more thought and process is to, is the kid going to be able to pick this up? Where is he academically? Obviously, the character concerns with a lot of junior college kids. You know, is he mature enough to handle this environment? Um, so with Bama, there was a ton of research that went into these guys with the junior college guys. Let me get this from Trevor Hewitt. At least during your time, if you want to go beyond to the days of BOL, even right up to today, feel free. Your top three recruiters, top three staff recruiters, you don't have to rank them, but just give me your three that you would pick for the Nick Saban era at Alabama. Other than Nick himself, obviously, assistant coaches as recruiters under Nick Saban. Uh, Kirby Smart. I mean, I think he's obviously got to be number one. Uh, locked down the state of Georgia. Uh, you know, took consistently went in and took the top guys, um, and was relentless when he was focused on recruiting. Um, so before the season and after the season was probably the best in the game. Um, Jeremy Pruitt's definitely up there. Uh, just a guy that people love talking to, um, knows football, speaks football, you know, don't let that all shucks Fort Payne, Alabama accent fool you. That man, when it comes to X's and O's knows about as much as any man I've ever met. Um, and also due to growing up in it, the son of a great high school coach, he knows every high school coach. He's the Mississippi. 
Um, so it was always fun to watch him sit down with, with these high school coaches and just instantly be best friends with them. Um, probably a personal favorite would be Sal Sinceri. Uh, I love Sal. Um, just a guy that's just so much passion and energy. Uh, it was always fun to watch him work and, uh, and show these kids like, Hey, when it, when it's time, I'm going to push you and I'm going to push you as hard as I can. We're going to have a fun time doing it. Um, you know, it, we're going to be a hundred percent all the time. He was a guy that, that I loved watching do work, um, especially in a recruiting room. Um, but yeah, those are probably three of the guys that really stand out to me. Um, I think that, that obviously coach Loxley, uh, incredible recruiter, uh, Lance Thompson, another guy that's obviously yeah. a prolific recruiter, um, and just had a swagger about him that was just tough to, tough to duplicate. He was that guy when he put that script a on, he felt like he could go get anybody, didn't he? Oh yeah. He was Superman. I mean, there was just no way around it, you know, and, and you want to talk about a guy who was so pivotal, so pivotal as to us getting back into Mobile, Yeah. you know, a place that had been locked down by Auburn and LSU for a very long time. You know, Lance shows up and rolls that script a out in Mobile and says, Hey guys, there's, we're, we're back. And, uh, you know, instantly, you know, gets a BJ Scott, you know, get able to get Julio, able to get all these guys uh, from South Alabama that had eluded Tuscaloosa for a very long time. Um, but, yeah, Lance was a guy that just knows how to do it, uh, just knows how to recruit from start to finish. Mom, Tenacious. dad, the player yeah. just knows what to say and how to say it. And he could sell you, you know, he could he could sell ice cream to an Eskimo. It's just, that's just in his blood. Who's a guy that you thought at the time that Alabama was recruiting him might not be of the caliber of a program like UA is right now, but then turned out to be maybe all SEC or even an all American type. I had um, some doubts about this guy. Trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, you know, not a guy that really turned out to be a huge contributor, um, but Brandon Green was a guy that uh, I wasn't very sure about when we offered him and took his commitment uh, at camp. You know, he was a guy that, uh, you know, I thought kind of struggled. Yeah, 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 well, it was, yeah, it was just one of those. Uh, I wasn't totally sure about him, but, uh, you know, a guy that ended up being a, a pretty good contributor at at uh, at the end of his career, obviously made a huge play against LSU in overtime that he'll probably be forever remembered for. Um, he's the guy that, you know, was a dude that I wasn't totally sold on. Um, I'm trying to think right now. There's he would, been, yeah, there's, Brandon Green, Brandon Green would literally there at the end of his career because he was so versatile between the yep. offensive line and tight end. He was literally changing numbers, I want to say, um, yep. in game because oh, that's yeah, how. Yes. That's how he could be utilized um, between a couple uh, of different spots. We're talking with Trevor Hewitt, former staff member, BamaOnline.com. We're kind of getting some confessions here also (laughs) from a former University of Alabama recruiting assistant. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to keep rolling with Trevor as we move along. We might even get into some BOL war stories with Trev. <laughs> Maybe even some late nights downtown. Let's uh, go. At Innisfree. 
Irish pub. Now, yeah, let's let's transition a little bit to some other topics. We'll, we'll wander around here. Who knows? We, we'll end up back in the football facility probably at some point. Um, but you said it. It's all about networking and how you initially landed your spot at UA. You were working at Innisfree Irish pub. Uh, wildly popular, as we know, uh, in, in the Tuscaloosa area um for revelers just about any night of the week uh you know we'll leave this up to you but some myths or legends that you can either confirm or deny or no comment for us here on the podcast you know it's hard to mention Innisfree without mentioning almost Lane Kiffin simultaneously okay (laughs) we're just being honest here so I I gotta know I gotta know and and if you don't want to go into details that's fine was Lane really at Innisfree almost as much as beer vendors during his time in Tuscaloosa? I, can you confirm or deny that? Um, I will say that uh, that <laughs> I was fortunate enough to meet Joey a couple of times. Uh, Joey, but yeah, with, yeah, with, without getting getting too far into it, you know, we we saw him a few times. Uh, uh-huh. He knows what the kitchen at Innisfree looks like. <laughs> kitchen the kitchen at Innisfree I don't oh, even know the, what the kitchen at Innisfree looks like Trev. that's the that's the VIP room at night <laughs> oh that's why they have that red velvet rope <laughs> yes as sir you, as you go into the back there hi huh? um but hey look we all love it there I mean, we've all spent time there so and, and and when it comes to Alabama football Lane has company in that regard right oh definitely man it, it's been Just incredible the to walls. see to see how it changed over the years. You know, when we were downtown on Greensboro, uh, across the street from Chuck's, it's the gray lady now. Um, it was very much a staff place. You know, you would see guys from the top to the bottom, obviously not coach Saban, but guys from the top to the bottom of, of the, uh, of the program that hung out there on a regular basis. You know, I would get to meet guys all the time. Not a lot of players, uh, would really, you know, we'd see John Parker and Baron Huber and, you know, guys like that were regulars uh, in the off season. But for the most part, you know, it was primarily staff. Uh, obviously, but is, is there moved, kind of a, is there kind of an unspoken line of demarcation in most college towns, you think, when it comes to staff and players? In other words, oh, this is a staff place, which yes. means it's off limit to players. And this is a player place. Coaches don't need to be in here either. Is that is that what you experienced in your time? Because I, I think that's probably common throughout college football. College oh, athletics. yeah. I mean, I'd say it's everywhere. You know, there were certain spots and there were certain nights, you know, hey, the you know, one of the players when I was working for the team, one of the players would walk up and want to come in. And it's like, hey, man, the coaches are in there. You probably should go somewhere else tonight. You know, and it's you know they don't want to be hanging out with the coaches when they're trying to have fun as much as the coaches want to do their thing and yeah. blow off some steam. Um, it's something that you know when we moved to the bigger location on university where we're at now, um, obviously a lot more of the players started hanging out uh, and the staff. You know, they can't go out the way that they could back in 2008. Uh, obviously, celebrities a little bit different. Uh, more people are going to know who they are, things like that, where, you know, they could kind of sneak in back in the day, you know, nowadays that's not really a possibility. So, um, you know, the staff is something you see a lot less of, uh, nowadays than you did say back in 2008, 2009. Trevor, the most famous person you encountered during your days there doesn't have to be football even. Um, uh, a rod, uh, really? 
Yeah, he came in, uh, hung out uh, in the back. It was for Texas A&M. I think his publicist or his agent's kid goes to A&M. I'm not totally sure about that. But uh, he came in through our back door and people were telling me I was running the front gate and they're like, hey, A-Rod's inside. And I was like, no, he's not. <laughs> and uh, and then literally, you know, we're one in one out. It's a Friday night of a game weekend, especially Texas A&M. It's one of the biggest weeks of the year. And this woman walks up past the line and just says, you know, I'm here to see my client. He's inside and hand me, hands me your card and had all the credentials. And it was like, all right, well, I guess A-Rod's hanging out inside. <laughs> uh, so A-Rod also that, uh, same, same weekend, Texas A&M, Ryan Felipe, uh, yeah, uh from, you know, Cruel Intentions, Reese Weatherspoon's yeah. old husband, he was in there. Um, but you know, Taylor Hicks, you know, we would have, uh, a lot of, you know, your, your local mid celebrity stuff like that hanging out. Uh, but I'd say A-Rod in terms of just international audience, it, it would yeah. probably have to be A-Rod would be the biggest overall. That uh, that I got the chance to meet during my time uh, in Tuscaloosa. Rank the fan bases in terms of what you encountered in that gig, the best and the worst, maybe. Uh, and, and even if it's Alabama fans that on occasion you know, that, that weren't maybe the the easiest to to manage there. Uh, what did you experience from that standpoint as far as visiting fan bases go? Um, I would say probably the, the best that I dealt with in my time would be the Penn state fans. Uh, that was just an awesome weekend. They were just so happy to be there. Uh, they were incredibly nice people. Didn't cause problems. Um, Penn state was probably the best that I dealt with in my time, uh, on the, uh, on the lower end of the, of things. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, Ole Miss fans were always pretty tough to deal with. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. There's a certain uh, Ole Miss fans have the uh, esteem of Alabama fans, but without any of the uh, accomplishments to back it up. Credentials. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Without any of the credentials to back it up. So, you know, dealing with them at times was pretty tough, especially when when they beat us uh, at home. That that was that, that was a tough night. We were probably about 85 percent uh Ole Miss fans that night uh so that one that one was a little rough um you always knew LSU was going to be uh was going to be a long weekend um <laughs> it was going to be fun spend money though yeah yeah there was going to be some things that went down you were going to have to deal with some things that weekend uh and but they were always a good time uh I would say uh the Florida fans were were not very much fun to deal with mm-hmm. um obviously didn't come to town very much but uh yeah, Florida. Florida was a was was one of those where it's like it's probably best y'all don't come around here very often. Oh. Uh, but for the most part, man, you know, alcohol obviously does a good job of making anybody uh, turn into an idiot um, on any side. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would I would say probably Ole Miss uh, was usually um, would test you pretty good. LSU was always you had to be ready to rock at any time. Um, but outside of that, man, you know, you were going to get trash talking from everybody. It, it was just part of the game. There you go. Hey, uh, Trevor. So how does all of this help you transition into a gig at BamaOnline.com? Oh, uh, well, uh, so obviously, you know, working for the team, uh, fortunate enough to, you know, meet a lot of people, network a lot. 
um, you know, had some unforeseen circumstances and, and couldn't finish up school uh, financially and, you know, got out and was really looking for something. And, uh, and, you know, Chris Walsh, uh, one of my really good friends to this day was a guy that, you know, came to Innisfree a lot. Uh, and I had a personal relationship with him and, uh, you know, kind of talked to him a little bit and talked to, uh, a couple of guys at rivals a little bit. And, uh, next thing I know, uh, I've got Tim Watts, uh, calling me. And it all just, it happened really, really fast. It was over the course of really, you know, a few days uh, that it went from, you know, not really knowing where I was, what I was going to be doing to, all right, I'm going to be covering recruiting for 247 Sports. It was, it was an insane process, uh, one that really is a blur now that I try to think about it, but, um, you know, was able to, uh, to get on with Bama online and they gave me a, a chance and a great opportunity and, uh, and loved it for three years, man. Favorite prospect you covered for Bama online.com during that time, Trev. Oh man. Uh, one that stayed committed, Bradley Bozeman. Uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite guys ever to talk to, uh, a guy that I just genuinely like as a human, but uh, who loved Alabama football as much as any prospect I ever talked to. Um, a guy that was always a, a joy, would always do an interview. And uh, I'll never forget when, uh, you know, they lifted his gray shirt and decided to bring him in. Uh, I was the first person that got to talk to him about it. And uh, just the emotion that you could hear in his voice uh, was a really remarkable moment, uh, that still, you know, kind of gives me chills to this day. Bozeman is a guy that's always going to stick out. Um, guy that didn't end up coming to Bama, but that I love talking to, uh, Vianne, uh, Talamai Val, uh, ended up, you know, uh, decommitting, committing to USC, staying home in Los Angeles. Uh, but just a cool kid to talk to, man. Uh, West coast, Samoan, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a lineman. So those are typically the guys that we kind of speak the same language. Um, but just a guy that was just a joy to talk to at all times. Um, those are two guys that really stick out to me, uh, off the top of my head as guys that I just always enjoyed talking to. Lester Cotton was another guy that, that I always had a lot of fun talking to as well. So we we always hear about the tenacity in which Nick Saban and Alabama go about the recruiting process. Can you put into perspective for us exactly how much time, maybe even on a daily basis, uh, is committed to 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 recruiting, just recruiting? Um, by the actual staff, uh, you know, in season, um, it's obviously a significant number less. Um, I would say there's probably a couple of hours every day that's devoted to recruiting, uh, making phone calls, you know, doing two to three hours a day. Now, obviously, in the recruiting office, it never stops. Uh, organization and uh, identification and research is something that's 365 days a year. Um, in the off season, you know, when these coaches are on the road, when when it's really hitting recruiting season, uh, you know, these coaches are totally, totally committed to it. It's it's all day, every day. Uh, official visit season, uh, you know, when you're really hitting recruiting hard after the season's over, uh, it's, you know, I mean, it's it's sun up to sundown uh, recruiting nonstop because not only are you focused on finishing up your current class, but you're also setting your board for your next class. Who are the guys we're going to offer uh, on signing day? 
you know, who are these first guys that we're really going to send out hard offers to. Uh, so it's something that it's an everyday thing, but depending on the time of year, it could be two to three hours or it could be 15 hours. Is there a constant communication, let's say, between this, the on-the-field staff, recruiters, and the support staff like you were in that role of in terms of, you know, you've got an assistant coach in the spring evaluation period. Maybe he's out in California and yeah, he needs to need some assistance back at the home offices. Is there that line of communication that's always kind of going on between uh, the actual recruiters and support staffers? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I'm not sure if they're still doing it. But uh, back in my day, you pretty much, you know, once our staff was big enough in the recruiting office, you pretty much had a guy assigned to each coach. You know, I would be with Coach Pendry or uh, Coach Stoutland, uh, you know, in his time. And uh, there was always that, you know, line. You know, Sal was another guy that uh, was fortunate to have a lot of communication with. But, yeah, these guys are out on the road. You know, a lot of that legwork is done beforehand you know, really laying out. It was something that Ed was really good at saying, hey, you're going to go to the Atlanta area. Here's your route. Yeah. You're going to hit all these schools. Here are all the guys at these schools that you need to see film on, you know, that we need to get info on. Um, a lot of that legwork is done in the weeks leading up to the coaches hitting the road. But if at any time a coach needs something, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, we've driven to Atlanta to pick up a coach's car to drive it back because he had to catch a flight to go recruit another guy. You know, uh, it's it's always open and it's 24 seven. What's the environment like around that office? Because you hear so many different takes on it, that it's uh, mausoleum like that. It's lively. Um, how would you describe it? Uh, we, we've heard tales of styrofoam box lunches brought in. Um, what, what What is it like there? Well, I mean, you know, Coach Saban does eat the same thing for lunch every day in his office. <laughs> uh, it looks the same every day. Uh, they pick it up uh, from one of the dining halls and bring it over. Uh, I had that responsibility on more than a few occasions. But, you know, it's a combination of both. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a football complex. It's football, guys. Um, so there's a fair amount of cutting up. There's a fair amount of, of joking. Uh, but when it's time to grind – there's zero doubt as to what is happening. You know, it's something that I think has really separated Alabama from a lot of programs is just the singular focus of everyone knows their job and they know that they have to do their job and their job only, but it has to be done. Um, so as long as you're getting your work done and you're executing your job, you know, it's going to be a good time. Uh, there's going to be a lot of really positive energy, um, but rest assured, when it's time to, to get down to brass tacks, that will happen very, very, very quickly. Who's the one person that was either there during your time at Alabama or might still be there that no one really knows about, but carries a big stick with Nick Saban? Administrative type, support staffer, again, someone that, that again, the, 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 the media or the common fan really doesn't know much about but is is very much important to Nick Saban. I mean, obviously, a guy that we talked about earlier, uh, you know, Ed, Ed Manowitz was a guy that, uh, you know, really had Coach Saban's respect, uh, was a guy that that he listened to. 
um, and that he trusted, uh, I think as much as anybody that I really saw during my time, uh, you know, obviously Cedric's been there, you know, since the university was founded, it feels like. And, uh, you know, so he's a guy that makes a lot of things happen uh, so that day-to-day life is less hectic for Coach Saban. Um, what about Joe Pendry? Joe Pendry uh, is oh, where's yeah. he at Joe, in that Joe, circle? obviously, you know, even after he retired, you would still see him at the complex almost every day. Um, great source of knowledge um, and a great share of that knowledge to anyone, really, who wanted to listen to it. But a guy that Coach Saban leaned on uh, with his experience – and his demeanor, um, you know, one of those guys that that never really went away. Uh, you know, he retired, but never really went away. Uh, but yeah, he's he's definitely one of the top guys uh, when it comes to when it comes to behind the scenes, but still somebody who commands a lot of respect inside that building. In other words, that inner circle is pretty tight, huh? Oh, it's very tight. The inner circle is very tight. Um, it's it's not something that that gets opened up very easily, and you've got to really prove yourself to be a part of it. Well, we're very glad that Trevor Hewitt is still a part of the inner circle at BamaOnline.com. As we let you go, Trev, give us an update. What's Trevor Hewitt up to these days? Oh, shoot, man. Well, uh, about a year ago, I moved back to uh, Franklin. Uh, I opened up a restaurant in Spring Hill, Tennessee. It's called 55 South. Uh it's been awesome. Uh, we're in a little suburb uh, out, probably about 40 minutes south of the city. And uh, it's been great, man. You know, just running the restaurant business. Uh, you know, it's not for the faint at heart. It's a lot of work. I think I've dropped almost 70 pounds over the last year. Wow. Uh, yeah, seriously, man. Uh, if you ever want to lose weight, just open a restaurant. It's super <laughs> easy. Um, but yeah, man, just uh, running running a restaurant and and having a good time doing it, enjoying it, being back home with my family, and uh, really just uh, just taking it one day at a time. Lucky enough to be down at the beach for a little vacation this week. You think Nick Saban still got a few years left with this thing? I really do. I think that that coach, you know, I, I think that three years minimum uh, is is a very very real expectation. Uh, Puts him at 70, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I feel like Coach Saban, it's going to be a very quick process when he decides it's time to go. Um, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. You know, it seems like he hasn't missed a beat since the day that he started. So, uh, you know, it's something that that you don't see him slowing down. But, you know, obviously anything can happen health wise, hopefully not. But. I'd say at least another three to five years is a very, very real expectation to see Coach Saban on the sidelines at Alabama. Well, as we let you go here, did we miss anything? Anything else you think we need to hit on before we wrap up this Uh, Built by Bama online pod? Oh, man, not much, man. I think we pretty much covered it all right there, bud. I think we did, too. Well, Trev, can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, Wanted to do this since we got the word that – we would be doing a Built by Bama online podcast. You have delivered uh, in more ways than one throughout the years. You've done it again on this edition of Built by Bama online, and we thank you for that. Look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Awesome, man. Appreciate it, Travis. Anytime. There he goes. Trevor Hewitt, former BamaOnline.com staffer, former recruiting assistant at the University of Alabama, living the good life now up there in star-studded, franklin tennessee or at least that area anyway Uh, there you go there's no there's no shortage you have a good one bud
All right. Thanks, Trev. Uh, That's going to do it for this edition of the Built by Bama online podcast. Keep it tuned to BamaOnline.com for continuing news. And keep us in mind as we get ready to drop another pod for you in the very near future. So long, everybody.